Hello and welcome to our to the next episode of our podcast on negotiation. This one is a very, very special one because we have a very honored and noble guest with us, uh, Jess Salakius. Uh, Jess, thank you, for, uh, thank you for being with us today. Pleased to be with you. <laughs> um, uh, let, me, uh, let me introduce Jess in a few words. Actually, it's impossible to introduce you in a few words. So what I'm going to do, normally I do it uh, from the top of my head, but I won't be able to mention all your titles and all your experience, uh, profound experience in leadership and leadership and negotiation that's the topic of our uh, of our chat so let me just let me just read it out loud so a jd from harvard university um you were you lectured in nigeria you were a law, law um, wall street lawyer professor dean of uh, southern methodist university dean of tufts Fletcher fletcher school tufts university fletcher school of law and diplomacy um you worked uh, you were founder, chairman of multiple multiple organizations. Uh, um, uh, you also um, you also work at the program on negotiation and the executive committee. Uh, and there's the list is much 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 longer. Yeah, um, uh, just it's 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 so great to have you with us. Uh, um, the topic of our talk will be leadership and negotiation. But before we come to leadership, uh, I have a question concerning your previous work in, um, uh, on, on negotiation, especially on international negotiation. Yeah? Uh, many of my students, uh, when they start digging into especially cross-cultural international negotiation, quote your paper. Yeah? So how, was, uh, how did your interest uh, migrate from the area of international negotiation to leadership? What was the triggering moment? Well, the triggering moment was when I became a leader, when I was appointed dean at SMU Law School. That was really the first big, uh, significant leadership position I had. And then as I got into it and saw what, what, it, what it demanded of me and what I had to do from day to day, I suddenly realized what I'm doing all the time is negotiating. I'm negotiating with the president of the university. I'm negotiating with the provost. I'm negotiating with the other deans. My day was a constant day of negotiation. So that was the connection uh, that I said, at least as I was far as I was concerned as a leadership, uh, as, as a leader, uh, negotiation was a fundamental tool. And the more I talked to other deans and the more I talked to other leaders over the years and did some research, I began to say that they, they felt the same thing too. So that was the link uh, between negotiation and leadership. And I realized that many of the skills that we use in negotiation, you apply. And, and as far as scholars go, many of the scholarly concerns that we have as in studying leadership, or sorry, studying uh, negotiation also apply in leadership. So there was a, con uh, 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 what, it, what it was is one, one of the reviewers of my book said I was closing, closing uh, linking the dots uh, between these two separate disciplines, that is the discipline of negotiation and discipline of leadership, that I was linking them together in that book, uh, Real Leaders Negotiate. Yes, uh, these books are here uh, lying next to me. That's the one uh, probably you're referring to. Uh, there was another one uh, on leadership called uh, Leading Leaders. The newer one is called Real Leaders Negotiate. And uh, uh, connecting the dots is a, is a, is a, is a good topic. Uh, so let's try to connect the dots, uh, the dots in terms of definitions. Yeah? I'll start with, uh, with negotiation. That's an easy one. That's the one I can do. I cannot do uh, um, uh, too much on leadership. So um, then uh, we'll, I'll hand it over to you for the definition and we'll uh, jointly look for similarities and differences. So in, uh, in, 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 in negotiation theory, we, we define it, uh, we define negotiation, the, the, the process uh, as a communication process, interactive back and forth communication um, uh, designed to reach an agreement. Yeah, that's the, that's the, maybe the easiest uh, definition of, uh, of negotiation. So what's leadership and why is it similar to negotiation? Well, first of all, leadership is fundamentally a process of communication. All leaders lead by virtue of communication. And, and we see that constantly in politics, we see it in, in practice in all sorts of organizations. So communication is key, and just as communication is key in negotiation. Secondly, uh, 
One is it involves interests, uh, the interests of the organization that you lead or the interests that you're representing in a negotiation. You're constantly thinking about interests. I, I, I always have, <laughs> when I think about interests, I think we, we as scholars in the area understand the meaning of interest. But one time I was teaching a course at, at the Harvard uh, program on negotiation and one of the, and I kept talking about interests and one of the uh, attendants at the, at the organization said at the uh, meeting said, well, what do you mean by interest? Do you mean what I, what, what I do on the weekends? Do you mean my hobbies? And I said, no, it's not your hobbies. It's not what you do on the weekend. It's what's important to you. And what's important is what, what for the interest for the leader is really what's important for the organization or the group that he or she leads. So that, that, that is certainly an, uh, another action. And the other thing is what we're also looking at is future action. Um, the negotiations, negotiations we're talking about are an agreement, not just an agreement, but an agreement on future actions that the participants will make, whether it's a peace treaty, whether it's a business deal. And I think uh, uh, leaders are also talking about the future. Uh, they're talking about the future of the organization and how the members of the organization have to behave and have to conduct themselves uh, in order to achieve organizational goals. Uh, so I, and I think it's also uh, about power. Power is the ability to move a group, a situation in a particular direction. As negotiators, we're concerned about power. And as leaders, we're also concerned about power. How do we move this organization in a way that we want to do that for its, for the, the benefit of the, the members. So these are some of the similarities uh, that leaders and negotiators have to think about. And I really do think that the preoccupations of both are in, are intertwined. And, and I think most times a leader uh, who is has to negotiate in order to achieve uh, his or her goals. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's that's uh, that's a long list of uh, similarities. Uh, let's think about uh, differences, uh, and uh, one of them is uh, maybe in the area of uh, who is making the who is calling the shots. Yes, uh, who is making the decision ultimately, right? So, uh, in negotiation, we we define it as a joint decision-making process, yeah? uh, where um, there is an agreement only if both parties say yes to it. Yeah? Uh, yeah. How is it with leadership? Uh, do we need well, I think there are, there, there are leaders who uh, kind of are autocrats, uh, where I make, you know, the leader declares I make the decisions. Uh, but I think that in many organizations that are effective, uh, it, there is a joint process. Uh, one of the things that I did, for example, at both as dean at uh, SMU, at dean of the law school, and then dean at, at Fletcher, uh, as soon as I got in, one of the things I realized is that the, in order to to map new directions for the organization, that is something I can't decide. It has to, we, have, we have to decide. We have to start thinking as we. And when I did, what I did in both cases was to start a strategic planning process. Uh, the purpose of the process was not only the end result, but was also to develop a process whereby people learn to work together uh, and come up and make decisions together. So I think that leadership is also very much a joint process. At least that's my philosophy of it. I think there will be some autocratic uh, leaders that may dispute that. Uh, but I do think that particularly in modern forms of organization, uh, particularly where you're working with highly educated uh, individuals, whether they're researchers, scientists, uh, professionals, uh, it's, it, it has to be, to a certain extent, it has to be a joint process. And also the argument I would make is that if it is a joint process, any decision that may, is made will more likely be implemented because the members of the organization have ownership. This is our deal, our understanding, our uh, project. And we made it together. And so they are, they're going to be invested in seeing that it it happens. That's uh, that's very wise uh, wise words. There are lots of organizations which are um, uh, governed autocratically, uh, like you said, uh, by leaders who seem to know uh, more about what uh, what their followers uh, need than the followers themselves. Uh, a certain, a certainly, um, 
uh, in organizations consisting of, or of highly talented, as you write, rich and powerful individuals, uh, um, we need to involve them in the decision-making process. And then it becomes super close uh, in terms of uh, uh, um, uh, in terms of uh, the definition to, uh, to what negotiation is. Yeah. Well, I'm talking. I have a case uh, in the in the uh, in uh, the book. Uh, involving uh, the, the uh, Goldman Sachs, the great uh, banking firm, investment banking firm, and how they had to make a decision to move from being a partnership to being a corporation. Uh, and that, that decision was clearly a joint decision that took them several years to make of negotiation among the partners to decide, are we going to be a partnership? Are we going to abandon the partnership, which has been raised very successful for us to go and become a, a corporation, an international corporation with all that that means and have to change our, our internal culture. So that, that uh, was a process of negotiation uh, that, that required, that ended in a decision to abandon the, the partnership form and to become a corporation. Yes, and go public, yes. I remember it took him uh, 20 years, right? Yeah, or to, yeah, it was, I think, about 12 years. But, but, but 12, 12 years of constant discussions. Um, the autocrat would throw up his hands and said, I, you know, who can, who can, I can't waste my time on that. But I think that what, what's going to happen if, you, if they don't agree particularly that they take their money as partners and leave, or they take their skills and leave. And I think, I think in organizations, you begin to realize that your assets are the people that are working with you, working in the organization. And one of your goals is to keep them, uh, to keep them in place. That's, uh, that's, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, when we look at the leaders themselves, yeah, um, uh, you write that leaders are a primus inter pares, uh, right? So, what's uh, what in your in your opinion? What makes a leader a primus? Uh, uh, what is it more? Uh, is it more charisma? Is it uh, intellectual yeah. brilliance, or uh, would you say that it's rather empathy and uh, and the willingness to consider other uh, the, uh, in the interest of, of of his or her followers? Uh, where would you uh, where would you see primus on this on these continuum? Well, I think a primus inter Paris means that the the uh, the Paris uh, have something to consider contribute to the process. In other words, it isn't just you're you're not only the first of the of of, of, the, of the type. Uh, you you the organization can't function without the others, without the Parises. It doesn't doesn't work that way. So um, I think that it's. Uh, uh, it's it's important to that, that you appreciate that, and so what when you use the word charisma, I hear it in all the literature I in discussions about leadership. I always hear the word charisma, and I frankly don't know what that means. I hear it a lot. You know, so and so has charisma. Well, what does that really mean? And 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 uh, in particular, and how do you get it? Um, and does that mean someone that is uh, who can stand up and give great speeches? Uh, what does it mean? I think it also means that uh, I think uh, what's important about being primus inter pares is that you have the confidence and trust of the other parties that you're leading. And I think that's really key. Partnership is really, uh, or trust is important for leaders to gain the trust not only to gain this trust, but to hold the trust of the people that they're supposed to lead. That's a that's a that's a very interesting. Um, it's a, in, in your book, uh, um, I found it super interesting that you look at the the task of the leaders, not from the perspective of what they do, but what is expected. Uh, from their follow of them by the followers. Yeah. Uh, so you call it the demand side uh, view. Yeah. Uh, and to mention uh, you, you mentioned also a few. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, I think seven uh, seven tasks. We'll yeah. uh, we'll mention all of them yeah. uh, very soon. But why did you decide to uh, to to uh, to look at leadership tasks? from well, the demand you, side rather than you know, the... We side. say we want leaders. You know, every organization must have a leader. You hear that. And I kept asking why. 
what is it that the leader gives the organization? In other words, we, what is, you know, you pay the leader much more than the often than the others, uh, you give them all sorts of benefits. Well, what is it that you're buying in this marketplace? What is it that they're, they're giving you? And um, if you read the memoirs of leaders, they'll tell you, they, they tell you what they did. So that, that's the supply side. What I did, I, I did this, I, we, merged uh, with with another company or we introduced a new technology. But I think the more important question is, what's the organization need? And I think that when you begin a search for a leader, uh, I think that's the very first question that a search committee needs to ask. Not who do we go out and get here? Uh, who's, who's, but what is it that this organization at this particular time needs in a leader? And I think that that once you've asked that question and, and in any depth that helps you decide the kind of person that you want because the person uh who you want in 2022 may not be as the as the organization evolves by 2030 may may not be the kind of person that you need to lead into uh 2030 2040 2050. so so that's why I said, okay, what is it then that we get from from leaders? And I, I, I looked at what I call the task of leadership, and I identified what I thought were seven important tasks. One is, is direction, to move the organization in a particular direction that it needs to, uh, either to survive or to thrive. And second uh, is to build what you might call build community, building team, team building, you have all these individuals in an organization. They all have their own individual interests. They have their individual concerns. How do you pull them together so that they bring to work together and work as a team, as a community? And that you look often to the leader to do that. Third is conflict resolution. Any organization, and certainly any university, and, and Remy, you can probably affirm that as well as I can, is filled with conflict. You know, that's that's the nature of human beings. We're doesn't mean we're killing each other, but there are conflicts. There are uh, differences of opinion. And one they, they often have to be sorted out if that organization is to move forward effectively. And that and we often look to the leader, at least to start that process. How do we deal with our internal, uh, in, internal uh, conflicts? The third is education. And I, I think this is one that we often forget. Um, it, organizations have to learn to as to thrive and the point is that not the that the, the leader is not the source of all knowledge but the in set is the manager of the educational process understands what the, the the organization needs to learn how you find the sources of that and how you bring it within the organization itself and then finally, I, I talked about motivation is another one that, to actually, it's one thing to get people to agree on a direction, it's another thing to move them really in that direction. And that's what, I, that's what motivation is all about. Uh, the, the sixth method, the sixth task is representation. Uh, organizations have to be represented by somebody. Uh, organizations, uh, when you go to a conference or you go to a meeting, uh, someone has to speak on behalf of the organization. Somebody, the organization itself can't do that. And we do that through our leaders. We send them to the, the meeting, the important meetings. We send them to deal with the problems that we're facing. Uh, we send them to try to sort things out with external constituents exter and external op opponents. And then finally is trust building. Uh, to build trust within the organization. Uh, and and uh, also uh, not trust in each other, but also trust in the, the, uh, the leader himself or herself. What, what I, what's interesting is that when leaders are fired, particularly corporate leaders, and you ask the board, well, why did you fire that person? Uh, what always comes up is that person lost the trust of the board. Uh, and that was it. And once the trust has been lost, you often can't repair that. And that that's the beginning of the end. So these are, that's how I was looking at it. And, and, and these are seven 
seven, uh, and the more I thought about my own activities as dean of, of two graduate schools, I thought, you know, I was doing some of the, these, all of these at one time or another uh, as part of the job of being a leader. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for going through the list for us. Uh, once again, I hope we're not revealing too much uh, content of, <laughs> of your book, but uh, uh, when we look at these seven tasks, direction, integra uh, integration, motivation, conflict resolution, education, and representation, um, which one of them do you think requires the most time from their leader? Yeah, and which one is most expected by the followers? Huh. Well, which one? It all depends on the, the, the challenges that a particular organization is facing. And also, there are some leaders that like certain tasks better than others. Uh, I know, for example, deans of universities that really enjoy the external process of representing the university or representing the school at conferences, raising money. These are the external part. I know others that hate that part of it. I uh, would rather be working internally on developing the curriculum, on setting up research projects and so forth. Often it depends on their their backgrounds. It often depends on, on, on their ages, personal inclinations. So, uh, but I do think that uh, in any leadership position, uh, a leader will be required to do some of these, will be required to do probably every one of these activities before that person ceases to be a leader and moves on to other things. Mm -hmm. When we look at the followers, um, um, what do you think is the most important, which one, which one of these tasks is the most important one from the demand side for the yeah, followers? Right. I, I, think, um, I think trust is when you, you think about it, because uh, let me tell a story. When I was appointed dean at SMU, uh, a few days after I was appointed, uh, one of the senior faculty members came up to me and said, you know, I'm really glad you've been appointed dean because I trust you. And I thought, oh, that's very nice. And then I walked, as I walked away, I thanked him and I went out and I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's it? Because he trusts me? What about my vision? <laughs> what about my knowledge? Just because he trusts me? And I thought, that's true, because what, what they're worrying about is their own personal interests. Everybody's worrying about his personal interests. And the question is, can I trust this person to, to protect my personal interests? So I think trust is, is really the very, it's the linchpin that holds together the other tasks that we've been talking about. Yes, uh, so we've, uh, we've sorted out um, the supply side depends on individual preferences of, uh, of leaders. From, from, from the demand side, it is uh, as the extent to which uh, we believe as followers that the, uh, a particular leader will be inclined, able, or, uh, in, able and inclined to uh, consider our interests in, in the task that he or she is to, uh, uh, to do. All right, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And, uh, and which of these seven do you think we need negotiation the most as a skill? I would say all of them. I, I think all of them. Uh, just the, the, the skills of bringing people together, uh, the skill of helping people find direction. I think it was, I, you know, I was, as I said, I was using negotiation all the time. So I think it's, it's a fundamental uh, tool of, of, of leaders. And I may be, be challenged by that, by leaders themselves, but I think, I, I, I think it's the, the fundamental tool of leadership. And that all of these tasks require bringing people together. It requires connecting with people. It requires getting their agreement. Uh, certainly when you're outside, you're outside representing your organization, you're constantly negotiating. Uh, mm -hmm. When you are uh, trying to deal with internal conflicts between two department heads, uh, you're involved in a negotiation. When you're trying to bring together the whole organization to agree on a new vision, on a new, on a new uh, strategic goal, that in itself is a, a negotiation process as well. Uh, why do you think now when I when I think back at uh, and, and look at the leaders, only very few leaders, you know, um, continue, uh, uh, continue, um, uh, continuously work on their negotiation skills. So it seems to me that negotiation skills are uh, largely underestimated by many leaders. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Would you uh, would you agree with this hypothesis? Uh, yeah. and 
I think traditionally, yes. I mean, if you look at, at the traditional works on leadership, um, they don't emphasize a negotiation. But um, I think that it is, a, it, as I said before, it's, it's the fundamental tool. And often it's because the, the, they, they come to power, often leaders come to power with the assumption that uh, their fundamental tool is the tool of command. I command things that things happen. Uh, and I think they're often surprised when they're finding that commands don't work. Uh, even, for example, within the, the White House. Yeah, I don't know how many presidents that were always uh, surprised by the fact and, and negatively surprised at how, how their orders were not really carried out always immediately and exactly the way they wanted to. Uh, and I think it's because often uh, you, if you rely on command alone, uh, it's, not, it's not an effective tool for achieving organizational needs. Mm -hmm. So we've established that negotiation is a, is a fundamental skill, sometimes underestimated by those who, um, um, let's say, uh, tend to use command as a main tool uh, of uh, exerting, uh, exerting impact in an organization. But what other, what other skills, in addition to negotiation, do good leaders or great leaders need to uh, demonstrate and possess? Well, I, I mean, I think it, I, one thing that comes to mind is wisdom. Uh, you have to make decisions uh, constantly once you've gathered the information, once you've negotiated with a, a certain amount of support. But you, the wisdom is, uh, and that requires trying to project in the future. If I make this decision, what's going to be the impact on the organization? What's going to be the impact on morale? What's going to be the impact on our effectiveness? So there's a, there's a notion of wi of wisdom uh, that uh, one has to develop often through experience. Uh, so th there's that. Uh, there's the importance of of really listening hard uh, to the people that you are working with, uh, to the people that you're supposed to lead. And I think that sometimes leaders don't realize, or they get to the point where they think they really don't have to listen. Uh, that they are the source of all of all wisdom. But I do think that the skills of listening and of draw and of drawing out people, drawing out their views is a key factor in effective leaders. I once read a, a read a very wise claim which goes along the same lines. Leaders who don't listen will be surrounded by people who have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, and so it is, I mean, but, it, but, but I think there's something, a lesson in that, that when you pick your, your team, you don't want to pick just people that think the way you do. You want to pick individuals or select individuals who have different points of view, because that, a leader being open to different points of view, uh, not thinking that he or she is the font of all wisdom, I, I, is, is extremely important to effective leadership. Mm -hmm. When I was reading about uh, about these seven uh, seven tasks, by the way, uh, dear followers, make sure you get the book. That's the first commercial. There will be another one at the end. Yeah? Uh, when I was reading, uh, when I was uh, reading about the seven tasks, uh, um, I immediately, I immediately, I could immediately um, um, understand six out of seven. Yeah, with the seventh one, I had I, I had to struggle for a while. That was education. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even despite the fact that we're we're both in this business, yes, uh, yeah. education business. Uh, why did you decide to put education among the seven, yeah, the seven uh, leadership tasks? And uh, why do we need um, negotiation skills as leaders uh, in this task? Well, in a way, uh, uh, Remy, you're you and I are both professors, and I think you understand that even a relationship between a professor and a student. Is, is a negotiation. It's a negotiated deal uh, that we have agreed to embark on a particular practice uh, and that in, go in doing that, we're each going to have certain responsibilities. So I think it's important to, uh, to recognize that, educa is, that education is, is important in uh, the leadership process. I will tell you, most leaders, I don't think, appreciate leadership 
uh, appreciate education as an important part of their job. Uh, <clears throat> I, I gave a program one day for uh, one, uh, it was a, a one day program on negotiation and leadership. And I took the seven tasks and I had seven um, flip charts put around the room. And I said to this group, there were about, I think we about had about a hundred people in the room. I said, look, each of you, I want each of you, because I want to get a discussion going. Each of you, and you, I said, you all have experience with each of these seven tasks. So, so I'm going to want you to go to each of these, each one of you, pick the task for the task that you like to do best. And we'll try to have a discussion among the people at that task to draw out the best practices for direction or or uh, uh, conflict resolution and so forth. And I was astounded when I looked at, do you know which one attracted the least number of participants? Because they, they would go voluntarily to the flip chart with the task that they like to do best. Mm -hmm. It was education. Yes. Uh, and the more I thought about it is, uh, first of all, uh, I think they didn't see that as part of their job as, as leaders. Second of all, they often felt they weren't trained to do that. Uh, that was not part of, if you went, had an MBA uh, in business, uh, you really weren't given, you were given instructions, you were given education about how to order, order people around, but not how to educate them. And as a result, I, I think they felt that that's the one they were least effective at and they had least, so it was a, a, a least um, confidence in their ability to, to uh, to pursue, so um, I think that I think education is one. But when you think about, you know, we talk about the importance of learning organizations. I mean, every every uh, organizational guru talks about the importance of or learning, learning the changes in the environment, the changes in the market, and how, how to adjust to them. Um, but for the organization as a whole, they will all say education is important. But who's going to lead that process? Um, and I think that as part of the leadership, uh, the leader has to see himself or herself as the, the manager of the process, not necessarily the font of all wisdom mm -hmm. uh, of, of educational knowledge. Yes, it took me a while to understand it. Uh, that was the, the, the least intuitive of the seven uh, from my perspective when I read the book. Um, there was one, uh, uh, I remember uh, you use a few times, uh, you, use, uh, you, you say, um, um, that leaders are cheerleaders. Yeah? And then I thought, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and and then I thought, why isn't communication one of the one of uh, one of uh, one of these seven tasks? Is it? Uh, I know it's obviously negotiation is nothing else than a communication. But uh, um, and the question is uh, why you decided to go on a more specific um, yeah. type of task rather than uh, including yeah. communication as more generic one. Well, that's a good question. I I uh, now you're making me your review of my whole uh, philosophical development here. Uh, I think uh, I, I think that when you say communication, yes, uh, it was too broad. Uh, yes, the leaders have to have a, be effective communicators. But about what? And I wanted to make it more fun functional because I kept saying to myself, what is it leaders do? What is it, you know, why, what are we paying? What do we want from these people that we pay them so much and give them so much prestige and so many benefits? What is the actual thing we want? Don't tell me charisma, because I don't know what that means. And I don't know how you about use it. But I want to know specifically, what is it this person is going to do to make this organization a better place? So that's what I, so with that kind of functional analysis, I came down to the center. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yes, that's uh, that was my uh, working hypothesis. I was thinking that probably communication is too generic. Yes, this yeah. question about what explains why it had to be yeah. narrowed down into uh, yeah. something more specific. Right. Um, when you um, when you meet people, when you meet your students, uh, when uh, uh, when when you talk to executives, yeah, um, I was thinking based on your uh, profound experience in the area, both on the research and practical side. Uh, um, are you able to recognize leaders by the way they negotiate in your classes? Um, leadership potential, let me put it like that. Uh, leadership potential, that's hard, hard to know. Uh, you do see in students, it isn't just in the negotiation classes, but in others, the way they relate to other, play, uh, other students, 
um, as uh, as having, uh, particularly if they're open to other students, uh, uh, they 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 have a connected. They were able to make connections with other people, with other faculty, and they were willing to take on. Um, an, act an activity or uh, uh, something that's required for the organization without necessarily being asked. There was a certain volunteerism. I think when you see that, you begin to think, well, that person may develop into a, a, uh, a leader. Uh, but in a place, for example, like the Fletcher School, we had a lot of leaders. I mean, they're, they're, they're coming from 65 different countries, different cultures, and so forth. So often in, the, we find, in our graduate school, I think we find lots of leadership material. The question is whether that will materialize once they leave uh, into a true leadership uh, position. In one of one of uh, one of one of chapters, um, I, I, I highlighted a quote um, uh, um, from Napoleon. Uh, you said uh, uh, you said uh, you quoted that uh, leaders are dealers in hope. Yes, yeah. And then it made me think. I paused for a while, and then I thought, hmm, uh, how does it relate to negotiation? Are negotiators dealers in peace? Well, that's a good question. I think negotiators also are dealers in hope in the sense that when you're making a deal or an agreement, and if you're going to try to persuade the other people to accept it, you've got to convince them that this deal, whatever it is, is going to lead them to a better place. In other words, give them the hope that by coming to an agreement, a peace deal, for example, I've got to sit down with my enemy uh, that this is going to make you, uh, your, put you into a better place. And in order to, to make that agreement, then you, they've got to have a certain amount of hope and confidence that the other side will behave the way they, you want them to, uh, to behave. So I think uh, negotiators are, uh, in a sense, dealers in hope in that sense that, uh, you have to convince, particularly when you're making, whether it's a merger and acquisition agreement, whether it's a peace treaty, whether it's a, a, a sales contract, the other side that good things are going to happen and to take hope in a better relationship and put you, putting you in a better place uh, as a result of agreement, of agreement. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And in, indeed, in both um, in both activities, uh, leadership and negotiation, uh, we are shaping the future. Right? Yeah, uh, we're yes. making yes, uh, we're making a, a decision uh, or a series of decisions yeah. that uh, yeah. that ultimately uh, determine our benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, leaders, not only for himself but also for many other people uh, who are looking up to him or her as followers or members of uh, of his or her organization. Um, uh, in negotiation, it's um, between two or more parties that are engaged in the process. Mm -hmm. It's about their future and the ability to uh, to meet the expectations that they have with respect to uh, generating yeah. more than uh, than they have today. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. I would like to ask about the dedication. Uh, um, I think you dedicated your book to Livy, Olivia, yeah. and you yeah. also Olivia. Yes, yeah, she's my. <laughs> She's my, well, actually, all of my books have been dedicated either to one or more of my grandchildren. And the last of my grandchildren was Olivia. Uh, and um, I was always, I always looked at her as a, and I, I think her, her uh, brother and sister had once said to me that she is a negotiator. And I, the story I tell in the book, if I can tell it, is that it, uh, when she was close to two years old, um, she uh, she was uh, a very bright, she is a very bright little girl, and uh, but she had a, a pacifier that she had in her mouth, uh, and her mother kept trying to get her to to give it up. So my daughter and I were sitting in the backyard talking, and all of a sudden, Livy comes up with a book under her arm, 
And she plops down next to her mother, hold, held up the book and said, read, mommy, read. And my daughter said to her, I'll read to you if you give me the pacifier. And she held out her hand. Uh, and there was this quietness between the two of them. You know, being a student of conflict resolution, I'm just, I was really intrigued. I was, how is this going to end up? So there was no crying, uh, no pouting. There was just a staring down. I mean, it reminded me of the, of, it must be the negotiation between the U.S. and Iran, where we say, you got to give up your, your, your nuclear program. And the mother said, give me your, you know, I'll read you if you give me your uh, pacifier. And Louis said, mm -mm. The, hand, the head was shaking, it was no. And just as uh, Iran said, no, we're not giving it up. So what was in, so I watched that. And finally, she, what she did was she took the uh, pacifier out of her mouth, but she didn't give it to her mother. She put it down next to her own leg where she could grab it at any moment if need be. So this was a counteroffer. Uh, that's basically what it was. It was a counteroffer. And ultimately, she got her reading. She got the reading that she wanted. And, and she eventually, of course, gave up the so I was very intrigued at this negotiator, this two-year-old negotiator who seemed to learn. I, you know, I, as I looked at the skills that she displayed, one is she controlled her own emotions, no crying, no yelling. Second of all, she really spent some time thinking about the situation in which she was in, uh, whether, and, and third, she looked for other options. She came, and she was a problem solver. So she came out with, so in the end of the day, uh, she achieved her interests. And uh, for that, I think of her as a effective negotiator. Whether she'll be a leader or not, that's another matter. We'll wait and see. I'm sure she will. She has very good genes, apparently. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jess, let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, life after leadership. Uh -huh. uh, life after leadership. I remember uh, at the towards the end of the book, you, you said uh, uh, you've, uh, that you had received uh, uh, offers to become uh, the president of a few a uh, few a uh, few universities. Uh, um, and after after a few days of re of consideration, you declined all of them and uh, uh, came back to uh, uh, to your previous task as a professor, as an educator, as a researcher. Yeah? Um, I was wondering. And what led uh, you would have, uh, by the way, I, I, I can imagine they would have been, that many, many, many schools uh, would love to have you as their president. Yes. Uh, uh, so I was wondering um, uh, what led you to that decision. I know that you never regretted it. Yes. Uh, but what was the, well, you never I, mentioned why. Yeah. You said well, that. Really, you, I mean, first of all, I want to clarify I didn't get offers. I, I, I was asked whether I was interested in getting into the process. And that that's very different from an offer. So uh, I think it was that I had been a dean for 15 straight years. I had been dean for six years at uh, SMU and followed directly by another nine years at uh, the, the Fletcher School, which in both situations, I loved the, both jobs and I loved both schools. And it was something I, I found very satisfying. But I felt that at this point, you know, if you become a president, maybe a lot of it is more of the same, more fundraising, just more of the same, but on a different in a different scale. And I wanted to get back to my writing. I wanted to get back to my scholarship because that's something I valued. And um, so that, it was a question of what I wanted to do uh, and what I was, what would please me more. And I felt that scholarship and teaching was at that stage in my career, what I wanted to do and not to take on another leadership position uh, in academia. Mm -hmm. And it must. Uh, I was also wondering, you know, stepping down down from a leadership position at a, at the same university. I mean, stepping down is maybe exaggerated, right? But uh, uh, but coming back to uh, to a job as a professor means that you got a new uh, the new boss, uh, uh, the yeah. new dean, uh, who would be uh, uh, ultimately uh, take on um, follow you in this position. Um, and I also noticed that uh, a dean of the Fletcher School wrote a blurb, a recommendation uh, for for this book. So apparently the relationship after you've uh, yeah. stepped down uh, must have been really good. I actually, with I had uh, several deans, uh, three or four, that I 
worked under or with after uh, being dean. And um, I, they were all uh, very um, cordial um, because my one, f one of the things is that I was never going to do uh, ever is get in the way of, of another dean. Uh, I wanted to be supportive of, of whatever they wanted to do. And I, that's the way, and I made that clear. Uh, each dean has, should be entitled to chart the path that he or she wants. So th that, that, was never, that was never an issue. On the other hand, I did take on a series of tasks for the university once I left the deanship. Uh, I became, uh, I was appointed to a group uh, to develop some, uh, a system of government, improved system of governments for the university. And I, I be, I, the group selected me as chair and we eventually adopted a, a university senate, which we then uh, persuaded the trustees to accept. And I was elected president of the first president of the Tufts University Senate. So, I, so there were other university tasks that I took on, all other tasks that I took on that uh, where people felt my experience could be useful. And I was glad to do that. And, and you also stayed, yes, but I, I, I'd also been very much involved in the executive committee of the program on negotiation at Harvard Law School. And you also found some time to invite uh, a young, uh, tell, a that young story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell that story because it, it explains our connection. I mean, our connection goes back many, many years, Remy. Many, many years. Exactly. Uh, that's uh, many means 17. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, I was a young, uh, a young PhD student uh, uh, at that time when uh, uh, when um, my my supervisor told me, hey, maybe negotiation is not my main focus, the main focus of my work, but hey, go out there and find someone who would help you. Yeah? So I uh, sent on the quest and started uh, contacted a couple of a uh, couple of uh, uh, people who had, I had uh, a lot of respect for, who, have, who are known in the in the area, especially of international negotiation, that I was very interested at the time. Uh, among others, I reached out to you, and you kindly said, "Yes, please come. We have office space. You're welcome. Uh, you're welcome here. I'll introduce you to a couple of people who do work in uh, in that area as well." And uh, I did get to spend uh, some time with you, uh, with the colleagues, and uh, program on negotiation at Harvard Law School. And I must, I must show this. I cannot resist. Uh, when I was leaving in 2005, this is this was exactly when the first book on leaders came out. Your first book on leaders, leading leaders, how to manage smart, talented, rich, and powerful people. And when I came to say goodbye to your office, I got this book with a personal note from Jezwold Salakius. Uh, once again, thank you so much, uh, Jez, for uh, having me, uh, despite your busy schedule, yeah? um, inviting such, uh, uh, for inviting such a no-name as, uh, as I am, as, as I've been. Uh, I, I will always appreciate it, and I, uh, I find absolutely no means to, uh, to pay it back uh, to you, so I'll keep on, I've kept on paying back to, uh, uh, to others uh, who have ever asked me for for help. My last question is always great negotiators. So in the book, you mentioned many of them. Yeah? I've noticed Lyndon Johnson uh, mentioned many times, uh, Jimmy Carter, Richard Holbrook, uh, uh, each of them famous for negotiating big deals. Yeah? So being um, or showing mastery in their negotiations, such as, for example, Lyndon Johnson as a majority leader in, in the US Senate. Uh, um, my question is, if you were to name one great negotiator slash leader, yeah, who would it be? Would it be any of them? Maybe someone completely different? Uh, uh, who would it be and why? I, I, I really can't answer that one. There's so many good people around. I mean, the history and in each time, I think countries have been successful. I mean, lucky to have the right person come to the fore. I mean, we were just talking before we began the program about Lech Valenza, and you mentioned you were you had been discussing with him. And certainly, when I think about Lech Valenza as a lead political leader, but you mentioned his importance in negotiating the democracy of Poland, of the new Poland, after after uh, uh, the uh, Iron Curtain 
uh, disappeared. And I think, you know, each organ, we, Poland, I think, was very lucky to have that kind of man on the spot at the time they were needed. Um, so I really can't think. I mean, I think if you go back in history, uh, I've been looking at uh, one of the questions I was looking at, because I'm doing some work for the National Center on State Courts, was judicial leadership among judges. We often think about judges. And when we go back in the United States, I, you know, I can point to, two, to several judges who made a big difference. Uh, John Marshall, for example, was one that was really uh, a, a early judge, Chief Justice of the United States, and he really set the constitutional basis because he, it turns out he was really an effective leader, an effective negotiator. Uh, Earl Warren, at the time of the de de at the time of the desegregation cases, was also lucky, and we were lucky to have because he he effectively persuaded the Supreme Court in unanim to make unanimous decisions uh, upholding the the, the uh, equality of uh, of uh, our citizens and the illegality of desegregation based on race. So uh, I think each time you have to look at the carefully uh, at the historical period in which they're functioning, the challenges that they're facing. So I, I really find it hard to pick my pick one uh, to say, well, that, that was the great leader of all time. How about if we extend it to three? <laughs> uh, Uh, I would need more time <laughs> to, to think about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, <clears throat> we'll keep in touch. The, uh, chosen, the names that you mentioned, uh, the names in the book, are people that I felt significant enough because they, it wasn't just that I mentioned them because they were great leaders, but because they, their activities proved a point, a point about negotiation or about leadership, and they illustrated it in their, their behavior. Just thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to answer all your questions. I promised one more commercial break. Here it is. <laughs> Great book. Uh, Real thank Leaders you. Negotiate! Exclamation uh, mark. Gaining, using, and keeping power to lead through negotiation by Jess Salakis. Just thank Could you I also so much. Thank, I want to thank you for inviting me. It was great to. We have not been in real significant contact over the years, and one of the pleasures of this project that we've been involved in today is to reconnect uh, and uh, it's been a I've been watching your advance in your career uh, at a distance with great great satisfaction I take it a little pride too thank you thank you so much Jess uh, I owe it also uh, also to you thank you so much for being with us uh, thank you to all viewers who have joined us uh, um, uh, Next episode, next week or in two weeks, will be on negotiation, conflict resolution, and games with Mark Young. Thank you so much, Jess. Uh, good yeah. night. Uh, good evening. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye bye.